This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast with Donnie Fandango, Jeff Burton, Alex Ferrario, and former Blues defenseman Jamie Rivers. It is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. Donnie Fandango joined in studio by Jeremy Rutherford from The Athletic and 101 ESPN's uh, Mr. Alex Ferrario also handling your pregame, postgame, uh, intermission uh, stuff for the uh, for the Blues <laughs> and their radio broadcast. So we got to start this off. Uh, unfortunately, I'm sorry, in a, uh, a bit of a negative bit of a negative, truth be told. Uh, last time that we convened to um, do a podcast, uh, someone in this room was sick. See, I knew it was going to go here. I looked at Jeremy at the Blues game when you told us you were sick, and I said, man, he is going to say that I got him sick. Donnie, nobody in my family vomited. Not right. one. First of all, I had totally forgotten we that forgot. until JR reminded oh, me before you got he here. Did. All right. Son you, of you a... You know how you get sick, right, Donnie? He said, how? I said, Alex. Alex. <laughs> I looked at him, Donnie, at the Blues game, and I go, man, I hate when, Don, when somebody gets sick when I was sick because then they're going to look at me like I did it. Dude, my my Dexter, while never getting sick, had one of those dry hat coughs right oh, yeah. when break started. So I assume, you know what I mean? It's from one of the Rugrats. Oh, yeah. I mean, what do I mean? What are you gonna do? However, now uh, we got to stay on the Alex topic here real quick oh, before we get crap. to uh, Might as well. <laughs> b- 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 before we before hold we get. All right, hold on. Minutes. You made a a post over the weekend yeah. that I do not understand, and I need to understand it. Okay. All right. So this was on Instagram, and there are a picture of three guys. Okay. Uh, who I assume to be Rascal Flats, yeah. and it says, "Please be a reunion." Yeah, I'm hoping they go back on a tour. Oh, you're it's walking my, into something. Here. I am, I am, and I know Donnie. This is not his cup of tea, but this is one of my wife and I's favorite bands. <laughs> oh, great! So if yeah. I'm gonna crap on so it, then I have to crap. Me. So it's not just on Alex. On my band. Oh, the wife card. She's probably yeah. never heard of them, but it's, he just—it's one of my wife it. and I's favorite bands. We saw them when we were dating, and then we went and saw them like five other times on our anniversary. Donnie, 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 she doesn't listen to the pod. Go at it. Have, but I, I just no, I, she does. <laughs> I I, uh, I saw this, and in my uh, sick stupor, I go, boy. I just cannot imagine looking forward to this band being back together, yeah. Alex. Yeah. Give me a hit. Give me a give me a give me a rascal oh, flat hit. God bless the broken road. Life is a highway from cars on Disney. Life okay, for tight tight time out. First of all, we are leaving out the great Canadian singer-songwriter Tom Cochran, who pinned Life is a Highway. Yeah, but his wasn't as bumpy, you know? His was his doesn't his is more like um I gotta narrate here. Donnie just leaned back in his chair and wiped his face. So so here's here's my here's my perfect breakdown with it, Donnie. His is more like I'm on the um I'm on the side road going like 35, 45. Rascal Flats is like I'm going 75 on the highway on cruise control. That's how I feel both of them. Listen, listen, Alex, I think that I have never in my history of loving music had somebody that has so misinterpreted a great song. Life is a highway. Dude, you are on the highway. You are busting ass. You are getting it. Dude, you are locked in. Tom Cochran's pretty pretty chill with it. I got to believe in 20 plus years, he's had a lot of people misinterpret songs, too. (laughs) Look, look, if there's one thing you'll know about me, take some time and sift through my iPhone music because it's everything from country to Frank Sinatra to heavy metal to old school rock to Coco Melon. So, but I really did not, and I'm not even making fun. But I really didn't know that Rascal Flats like broke up. So they, so they were, they were on their a tour right before COVID hit, and okay. so my wife and I had tickets to go see them. COVID hit, they didn't go on a tour, and then they kind of split to where their lead singer went off to do some of his own music, yeah, and yep. then the other one started doing some of his own music, and then another guy got a DUI, and so like all three of them oh. are like separate, and then that was the one, my wife was the one that told me about it, and I'm like, oh, come on! Yeah. Is this where I admit I've seen him before? At uh, Mizzou Arena? Be careful. Uh, 
I think they uh, Blake Shelton opened up for him. Who who is uh, that sounds right? Isn't um. Adam Wainwright, like a huge rascal flats guy. It's Luke Bryan, I think. Oh, I mean, okay, he's, he's all right. country music, but I know he and Luke Bryan are kind of tight. Right on. So that might be part so of it. So three that. people, Wainwright and <laughs> Alex and Katie Ferrario. Yeah, and, and Luke Bryan. So, I mean, like, come on, Donnie. But you know what, though? It, but, okay, so I give Alex trouble in all of this, but, like, one of the best parts about being a music fan is when a band who is either broken up and gotten back together or is making new music after, you know, like my kind of vibe for this is very different, but it's My Chemical Romance. Yeah. They broke up, uh, and then like a year ago, they surprised us with this new song. Oh, yeah. And so for the last year, I've been... I need an album. I need a tour. Come on. Well, and how about Blink-182 when uh, DeLong got back with them? Yes. I mean, my buddy and I have been listening to them since we were in grade school. And yeah. it's like, there's not much that ago. gets me more excited. Well, come on, man. I don't look that young. <laughs> that was so wonderful, too, because, um, and I'm not one to watch, like, the... Um, like the broadcast of a of a music festival, mm-hmm. even if it's bands that I like, it just it doesn't get the same thing no. to me. But when Blink came back and did that first weekend of Coachella, uh, I watched that entire set and it made my heart so full because one of the best parts about seeing Blink, and I've seen them a bunch over the years, is that when you're watching the band, you feel like you're just watching like an extended part of your friend circle. Oh, yeah. Because it's always penis jokes and yep. blah, 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 you know, whatever. Especially those three. As, especially, <laughs> especially. And so like when they got back together in that first show and they're giving each other crap about having small wangs, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is exactly how it's supposed to be. Welcome and then back. on top of that, they were just really freaking oh, good. Yeah. And so that's, um, that's outstanding as well. You got to see them when they come back through. I'm hoping. So I was hoping to go see them in Chicago it didn't work out so when they come through my buddy and I are going to be at that concert so Boy, if you only knew somebody that could get you tickets to that I know. show I know. what if Rascal's Jay, you, playing that night I don't care Blink-182 <laughs> Blink-Trump's Rascal and Donnie will appreciate that about me but so, just don't tell my wife yeah I was going to say dude then that puts you in a situation <laughs> with Katie don't do that well maybe I'll try and do that uh, that Fred Flintstone uh, move where like I go to two places at once I'll go to Blink I'll leave and then I'll go to Rascal Flats I'll leave and back and forth it won't happen I did a uh, I did a night a bunch of years ago where we did three shows. Oh my god. In, in one night and it was awesome. We did uh we started at the Foo Fighters at Enterprise Center and I love the Foos, but this but like I think it might have been the second to last time that they were here. It kind of felt like it was the same set that I had sort of seen before and Thrice was in town the very same night over at the pageant. So after about 45 50 minutes, we busted out of the Foo Fighters, we went over to see Thrice. We watched the rest of the Thrice set and then we went over to Red Flag and we watched a band called The Frights. And that's like kind of how the night went. That though like if I could do that sort of thing more often, I absolutely would, man. I I love it cuz you just get a little bit you get a little, little bit of everything, you know, musically. So when Rascal Flats is in town, guys, we'll go see them, <laughs> the three of us, a podcast show and then we'll uh, go see what else is playing. I would see a country show, but it'd have to be the right one. It couldn't be any of the pop country stuff. That's, I just can't dance in that land, man. everyone's with them is the, the pop country style. I just don't like it, man. Yeah. Like, I, I I don't know. And it's not like I don't. And that the thing is, is all of the elements are things that I like. I like pop music. I like country music, although I would say probably older country music. It's just that that mm-hmm. particular little grouping doesn't do it for so, me. So, Donnie, I'm going to uh, Nashville this weekend if you want to go. Uh, we, there, Blake Shelton's got a bar with Jason Aldean. You Dude, go get the- <laughs> that place is great. It's great, right? And I, and I, again, as you see, not country person, but I went there last year to see a band called Turnstile. And... Um, during the day, I was there by myself, so I had time to kill. And so I was able to, like, roll down Music Row a couple times. And, like, it's just so neat, man. Oh, yeah. Like, and, 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 like, and I know that I guess it's getting kind of, like, partied out now. Or it's, like, 
whatever. But like, it's so it's much fun. Cool. Yeah. Like, and I'm I'm a square. I hate that stuff. But it's still like a complete and total blast. And also, I went to a, a venue there uh, called the Brooklyn Bowl in Nashville. And they have a bowling alley inside of the venue. And it was one of the coolest venues that I have ever, ever, ever been to. They were absolutely I amazing. I suck at bowling, so I don't, I don't bowl <laughs> Oh, no, I'm often. terrible at it. I was going to say, I'm terrible at I it. I love it, but I'm terrible really? at it. But if I'm going to the bowling alley, I'm going to the bowling alley because I can't wait to get the crappy pizza or the soft pretzel or the nachos that are going to accompany See, the bowling. Always French fries or, from or well, That's fine. How about you can go to the vending machine and get a pair of socks? That's bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's disgusting. <laughs> and they tell you they're new, but they're not new. But there's no. <laughs> they found them in the bathroom. There is no way. There's <laughs> no way those things are new. Nothing else in that bowling alley is new. Why the hell would that be? So, uh, gentlemen, um, our first pod of 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 2024. Again, we didn't do one last week. I was just out. Man, I mean, I was sick as hell. Because I of not- Alex. Because of me. <laughs> but I haven't been that sick in a minute, so apologies about that. But, you know, one of the things, and especially in the Colorado game, talking about the Blues, you know, one of the things that we three will agree on and talk about is we wanted to see, even when the Blues lost games, you wanted to see a high level of compete. And it felt like in that Colorado game, even though they didn't win, I really felt like the guys played until the very last whistle, and I felt like it, you know, man, as far as feeling good about a loss, I left that one going, meh, all right, it was what it was. Oh, yeah, I mean, you end a game against Nathan McKinnon just in itself where he only has, what was it, one shot on goal, two shots on goal? Two, yeah. I mean, that line in general was not noticeable at all in that game. But on top of it, you shut that line down, and everybody think of how pissed off Nathan McKinnon gets when they lose when you just blew a four-goal lead to the Arizona Coyotes. So I thought Colorado was just going to skate all over the St. Louis Blues that night. They didn't. And props to Robert Thomas's line. I mean, they shut them down, Colton Pareko. And look, you got two really awkward bounces that beat you in that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one that was the deflection that beat Jordan Bennington, the one prior was just a really odd shot that just bounced in front of the net. So, or not Jordan Bennington. Yeah, that was Bennington in that game. So that was just one of those games that you look at and you say, hey, that's what Doug Armstrong asked about when he had that press conference. He's like, when we lose games, we don't look like we were even in them. Yeah. And that was the first time, with the exception of that shootout loss of the Dallas Stars at the beginning of the season, that the Blues lost a game. And I said, Eh, they played a really good game. They did not do that this season. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about Nathan McKinnon because he had a 19-game point streak yeah. going into that Blues game, and not only did they not get a point ending the 19 games, but he gets just two shots on goals. Like Alex said, uh, Robert, and they were in the third period. Yeah, I think one late in the second, maybe, yeah. or was it third was the other one. Is uh, and and so Nathan McKinnon, you know, tremendous player. Robert Thomas, his line, Colton Pareko, like mm-hmm. Alex said, did a great job. Uh, I'm working on a piece about Robert Thomas, and you always think, what's the best way to go about this? Who could I interview to talk about a guy like Robert Thomas? I said, oh, shoot, they're playing uh, McKinnon in Colorado. Then they're playing Crosby and and Pittsburgh. I'll try to talk to these guys. So I go in the Colorado locker room afterwards. Now, keep in mind, as a reporter, Alex, you know the feeling here. (laughs) You think that "Eh, if they win, you know, I'll probably be in a pretty good mood and willing to talk about it. So I go in the Colorado locker room afterwards and ask the PR guy, hey, can I talk to Nathan for a second? Yeah, not tonight. Like, yeah, yeah, probably not too happy with this one. So yeah, not tonight. So wow. So do the do the players tell those PR guys beforehand? Not me tonight. 
you know, usually it's a situation where the teams will put two or three names on the board or they'll have two or three guys walk into the room and be ready to talk to you. And, okay. you know, I don't know the games before that. Did Nathan talk every single night leading into it? I'm sure he talks a lot. Right. Uh, or was it a vibe, Alex, where uh, the PR guy knows? Like, okay. I was going to say, <laughs> it's not even they say no. It's like they see the guy walk into the locker room and chuck his stick and cuss somebody out <laughs> right. and say, yeah, he's probably yeah. out tonight. <laughs> right. So, you know, like not to get too like X's and O's here, you know, but like guys – to, 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 like, a plain hockey watcher like myself, what is it that Robert Thomas and that line were able to do to shut down, I mean, literally one mm-hmm. of the best players in the National Hockey League? Well, I asked uh, Drew Bannister that after the game, and the number one thing he said, which sometimes it's a cliche in hockey, but it's true, is make them defend. You know, the less Nathan McKinnon, Rantanen, those guys, uh, Nikushkin, have the puck – then the less they can do, right? So if Robert Thomas, Bucinavich, Cairo, those guys are doing things with the puck, getting it into the offensive zone, having offensive zone time, you know, then a lot of McKinnon's shift is going to be playing defense. Mm-hmm. But obviously they're going to get the puck at times. And and Alex, you know that, uh, you know, just keep it keep it tight on those guys. Like if, if you play him loose, if you play him 10 feet off, you know McKinnon's going to get on his little roll where he just skates around the offensive zone like he's the only guy out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't allow him to do that. They played good defense when – when the Avs were in the offensive they were zone. They were just in their way. I mean, the, the best way for me to like break this down and simple is like when you're walking around Enterprise Center and people are just standing in the middle of the walkway and you're <laughs> yes. like, get out of the way! That's what Robert <laughs> Thomas and Buchnevich and Kyrou were. They were yeah. always in McKinnon's way and they were standing them up at the blue line. They were forcing and McKinnon's line likes to go fast. Like They don't stop. It's boom, boom, boom in the offensive zone. They weren't doing that. They were having to put it behind the forwards and make them go back and get it. But also, like JR said, I mean, Drew Bannister, his first game when he took over, he used a phrase that really stuck out to me. He said, safe is dead. And I'm like, man, that's really interesting to hear somebody say it like that, which means like if you're going to play safe, if you're going to play 10 feet off, so you got to give McKinnon space so he doesn't flash by you, well, then you're dead. You're going to get you're going to get beat. And they're not doing that. Like in that Colorado game, every time McKinnon touched the puck, there were two guys on him. And every time Ranson and got it. There were two guys on him. The long stick reach of Colton Pareko, the speed of Jordan Kairou, Pavel Buchnevich, big side. They they were forcing them to shoot the pucks from the outside and not giving them those in tight chances. And when you do that against any line, anybody in the NHL, you're going to force them to get frustrated. And Nathan McKinnon, we all know, is a hothead when things go wrong. Yeah. So uh, one thing I do want to point out, and this has been a couple of weeks, so this is not new. But a few weeks ago when Bannister took over and Booch got benched Mm -hmm. in that third period for, for, you know, what, 12, 13 minutes, whatever it was, you guys both said, I know how he's going to react to this. He's going to take the onus, he's going to take the blame, and he's going to come out firing. And son of a gun, (laughs) he has absolutely done that. And man, that line, those guys together is incredible. But like, the reason that they spread him out is to kind of spread out the scoring. Do you... How do you see that kind of evolving as the season goes on? Yeah, I think that you have to spread it out. That's the one thing. A lot of fans, they look at the lines and say, why is he on the third line? Well, it's not because you want to put him on the third line. It's just that maybe that third line center needs some help on this wing. Or, you know, maybe they need some more secondary scoring, which the Blues do Mm -hmm. desperately. Yes. I mean, you have Braden Shen, what, 10 games without a point. Kasperi Kapanen's had some, you know, decent looks in the offensive zone, can't finish. Uh, So I think that they, they need to spread it out a little bit. 
you know, one thing that Drew Bannister wanted to do, like you said, was bring that, put that line together, Buchnevich, Kyrie, and Thomas. You know, Thomas has been an absolute fire. What's he have 12 points in his last eight games? He's like two above a point-per-game player. Absolute fire. You know, Kyrie's been uh, playing better. The thing with Buchnevich, he's getting great looks, but, man, is he hitting the post? Is he missing wide? The the other night, I think it was the Colorado game, Mm -hmm. did the Blues have 20-plus missed shots uh, that night? Um, you saw Buchnevich go to the uh, bench and break the stick. Yeah. Like I think there's a lot of frustration on his part. So I think it's there uh, for Thomas right now, and the line has been pretty good because of Thomas. But, gosh, if they could finish a few more. Yeah, yeah that Pittsburgh Penguins game I thought was the perfect example of they're going to have to spread the wealth. And, I mean, I, I'm the biggest one that says, like, you can't break up a line that's clicking like that. But mm-hmm. the last few games, I mean, one guy has been clicking and the other guys have just been snake bitten. But, I mean, Jair's right. I mean, with the exception of a goal here by Brandon Saad or a goal here by Kevin Hayes, you're not getting any contributions from your bottom nine. I think I looked it up after the game on versus Pittsburgh and in their last 11 games you've got seven goals from the defenseman and 10 goals from your bottom nine combined so like you're gonna have to get more in terms of that depth and Braden Shen is the one that I think everybody's talking about because the guy does so much other than score but you got to start seeing some points from him and being 10 11 games without a goal and or a point that's a little concerning and you know, do you want to break up Kairu Thomas and Booch? No, but does Kairu and Shen work better to where you can get those guys going? Does that give you the opportunity to move somebody down? Because you got to get Kevin Hayes going. And I love the move that the Blues did yesterday of bringing up Nathan Walker because I think that fourth line has just been invisible in the last three games. And I love Oscar Sundquist, but Sammy Blay, you're not getting a whole lot of. Mackenzie McEachern, you're not getting a whole lot of. I think it might be time to bring a couple other guys up that have a little bit motivation to go out there and do more. Can I ask a uh, something about Sammy Blay. Uh, when he came back last year from the Rangers, man, I mean, my man was a difference maker. Now, granted, I understand that that was also after we had traded O'Reilly and right. Tank, and like so, there was more opportunity for him. But, but, dudes, I don't remember hearing Sammy Blay's name very much during games this year, and like that's one of the reasons that I love that dude is because when you were when he was on the ice, you knew. Mm-hmm. I mean. Like tomorrow night or, or Thursday when we play Vancouver, you'll know Nathan Walker's on the ice oh, yeah. whenever he gets that ice time. So what's what's going on? Yeah, I think that's why something had to be done. You know, they tried McEachern. You know, he had some moments, uh, but I think now they're going to give Walker a shot. And uh, Walker's been playing really well for Springfield, by the way. With Blay, you know, I think that the second half of last year when he came here, uh, or you know, when he had the offensive run, was yeah. kind of an outlier compared to his career. So I mm-hmm. think people expected it to come back to the norm. But still, even if it's going to come back to the norm, it's three or four goals, you know, instead of the nine he scored in that run. Um, and we haven't quite seen that. I think at the start of the year, Craig Bruby had him on that third line. That might have been a bit of a surprise, I think, even to uh, Doug Armstrong. He said, you know, we thought maybe neighbors would be higher up the lineup, maybe Blay plays down. But I think that Craig Bruby wanted to give him a chance to show that he could provide that offense, and it just didn't come. I thought that Blay was, I don't say invisible, because when you lay big hits like he 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 does, that uh, you, you can notice him. Alex and I talk about that in the press box. We sit next to each other. Uh, but to me, Blay's just not doing much, and, and he's been a healthy scratch. As a result, shoot, Thursday night, you know, Blay might be a, a healthy scratch. So they're going to bring Walker up. Like Alex said, that line hasn't done much. They've uh, shrunk to three lines late in a yeah. lot of these games and just played Sunquist up higher. Blay wasn't playing. McEachern wasn't playing. Now Blay takes that interference penalty in the Pittsburgh game. 
he got benched a lot, Donnie, the other night. Uh, didn't play the last part of that second period into the third period as well. So it's just been a tough year for Sammy Blay. And, and like I said, um, you didn't expect the great offense we saw when he got right. here from New York, yeah. but you, you still expect him to do something. And they uh, they said it on the broadcast. Cam Jansen was filling in with um, with Curbs on that game against Pittsburgh, and, and Cam said it best. Like, these types of games when you just did a tough pound-for-pound, punch-for-punch with Colorado – these games against Pittsburgh, you expect your fourth line to be impactful because your top guys don't have legs. I mean, Robert Thomas and his line played like, what, close to 21 minutes against Colorado, and they had to play almost 22 minutes the other night against Pittsburgh. Like, you've got to have your fourth line in certain games, and that was one of those that, like, pound for pound, you need them to go out and just win puck battles, just get some sustained zone time. It just feels like not just that game against Pittsburgh, but the last few, it's been a lot of one and duns to where, like, they go in, they'll take their shot, and then they're coming back the other way and you're getting hemmed in your own zone. And it, it feels a lot like what it was back when Barubi was searching for that fourth line. You know, when he cycled through Dakota Joshua's and Tyler Pitlick's and they were trying to get something going. It feels like it's dropped back into this one, and it's tough because Oscar Sundquist is playing such good hockey right now, probably the best he's played in about three years. you got to get some line mates with him. I'm going to be very interested to see what they do on that fourth line on Thursday because they only made one roster move. Do they bring up or do they – insert Alexandrov into the lineup and scratch Sammy Blay and play Nathan Walker. But whatever it is, you're going to put a little more energy with a Nathan Walker who's got a little bit of a scoring touch just to get some more offensive zone time, just to get some more net front presence with those fourth line players. One of the key words, and you've already said it, that Doug Armstrong said when Bannister got hired was accountability. Yeah. Was bringing a sense of accountability to this team. In the couple of weeks that Drew Bannister has been in the helm, do you see him doing that? I think it's there. I mean, when you start off with Pavel Buchnevich, <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I guess yeah. that's a, you're not starting yeah. with a small one there, yeah. you know? And, and here's the key, Donnie, and we talked about this a little bit, but here's the key. When Buchnevich has the response that he had, that did everything. If he goes and pouts, if he says, well, ask the coach, if he says something flippant like that, not only you know does the media run with it, and then we're asking follow-up questions, but then you have the other players who see that comment, and, and then it just it doesn't work out. So when Buchnevich comes out and says, I deserve to be benched, and then he comes out and has the, the performance that he does, I mean, that just does everything for Bannister. And now we've seen it filter with other guys, too. Blake gets uh, a seat the other night, like I said, against Pittsburgh. So I think it's a great move. Hey, look, the coach doesn't have anything to lose, right? He's got the interim title. <laughs> hey, let's go in there guns a-blazing, let's set the tone, let's set the Stanford standard for how these guys need to play, and if they respond well, that's the key there, uh, then you can have something. So I think what Drew has done, especially with the lack of NHL credentials, to come in and do what he's done has been great. Oh, and the other one that you did mention, too, is uh, him basically starting Joel Hofer over Bennington in that first game back on home ice after the Christmas break, where he said, like, Hofer deserves the net right now. Now, he's not saying Bennington's awful and we're no. benching him, but what he's saying is we're playing the guy that deserves to be in there, and that's basically telling Bennington, like, hey, we need more from you. Bennington goes out and does what he does against Colorado, and I thought it was a really good game. So, like, that's that's more of the accountability factor with Bannister. And I go back to what Bruce Boudreau told us when we talked to him about a few weeks ago whenever Berube was let go, and he said, because we asked him about the difficulty of being an interim head coach and coming in midseason and how to fight past that honeymoon stage and he said look I went into every interim job that I had and I think he was hired three times mid-season I went into every job saying I'm going to do what I do best and if they don't like it they won't keep me yeah and he said I had success I had success in Anaheim I had success in Minnesota and I had short success in Vancouver so that's at least what you do in the interim 
for lack of a better word, when you're Drew Bannister, you come in and you say, like, look, we're doing this my way, and if you guys aren't on board, then it's going to have repercussions, and it's worked off so far. Right, and, and obviously, you know, there's time, and I'm we, we don't hold you to this, but, like, at, you know, after these few weeks, it feels to me that the, that the better the team plays or the more that the ship is steadied, even if they're not winning more than losing necessarily, I feel like it gives Bannister – the, the lead shot to keep the gig is that is, I, i've always said it and this is just my take on this i don't think anybody has said this but i feel like his best job at at this gig permanent is the success of thomas and Cairo. if thomas and Cairo turn into the players that we've all expected them to be and thomas is already there but if Cairo gets to that level by the end of the season i'm not sure you can go elsewhere because you've got somebody who got the best out of your two top paid players uh, I even think about it that, like that's that. at least i mean if you go out there and let's say rod brendamore sitting there at the end of the season i mean it's going to be hard to overlook somebody like that but if you go out there and it's anybody else that's out there that we've heard out there five six seven times and you've got Drew Bannister, who got a 90-point season out of Robert Thomas and got Jordan Cairo back to 35 goals when he started off slow and playing better two-way, two-way hockey. Uh, th- that, to me, is accomplishing yeah. the goal you set out to get when you fired Craig Berube. Yeah, I think if you if you if even if you play, like Donnie says, 500 hockey, maybe win a few in a row, lose a few in a row, but you're showing up every night. So every night, basically, except for that Tampa game, right? They've been on their toes and they've yeah. been playing competitive hockey. I think that's how... Bannister gives himself a good shot at the job, uh, holding guys accountable, getting the most out of Cairo and Thomas, developing the young players. That's going to be key in whoever they hire. But I think ultimately it's going to come down to who else who else is available because at the end of the day, Doug Armstrong is going to say, well, I can't pass up on this guy, mm-hmm. whether it be a, a Brenda Moore, which I know that's fancy land, but we're just talking here. Um, you know, I think – who else is out there? If if there's nobody out there that is just a no-brainer, then you say, hey, look, this guy's given us a chance to be competitive. He's developing the young guys. He's got the attention of our top players. He's, you know, like you said, with Thomas and Kyrie, he's helping them along. He can be that guy. I, I think if you would have said, hey, let's wait two weeks and see how Bannister looks, I think he's put himself in the best position possible to be that guy as long as that no-brainer is not out there. Let me ask you guys this, though, and I'm just going – solely based off of hypotheticals here and just kind of track record. Like when I look at Doug Armstrong's tenure in St. Louis, he's always had, for a lack of a better phrase, the stopgap before that coach took over to help the team win. Like, you know, he had Davis Payne, who was here at the time, and then when they felt they were ready to win, fired him and brought in Ken Hitchcock. He brought in Mike Yo, and then you got to Craig Berube, not really a stopgap. And nothing to take taking away from Drew Bannister because what he's done is great, and if he has success, he should he earns that job. But does Doug Armstrong look at it as we're not ready to contend for a Stanley Cup yet? What let's wait to bring in that coach to take us to that next level and see what Drew Bannister has yeah. first. If if that guy becomes available, and I think when you're making that decision, if you're Doug, you don't know if he's available. You don't know when he's going to be available. Right. Like if you if you got your short list and let's say there are four or five guys and you're thinking, okay, well none of these guys are really better than what we're getting. Well, out that's of, the other thing. And who's that Bannister? guy? Yeah. I mean, if you were to pick coaches around the National Hockey League, who would you sit there and say that guy gives me my best chance to win a Stanley Cup? Like Cooper. Bednar, is that it? 
Yeah, and, and go back to the question that we've been asking for a couple of weeks is, you know, are the Blues in a position to win now, right. like like you just touched on, or what stage are they at? Are they still, as we know they are, in the development stage where mm-hmm. they're going to be bringing in young players? Who can get the most out of them? I mean, you can even take a guy like Quinville. Maybe he's one of your no-brainer type guys. If he's available, if the ownership would approve it, would you bring him in? Is he the guy that's going to get these young guys going? I don't know that that's the answer. Yeah, so I think those develop. are the things that, that Doug's going to have to weigh. Boy, oh boy. What an interesting time for the franchise and then also you know while this is all going on and you know while we're having a little bit of flux in our season uh the blues tied with i think two or three other teams sending seven players Mm -hmm. to the world junior championships which to me is so amazingly excited and then on top of that and i know that that u.s was playing a bum team when jimmy snuggerud did the hat trick in the first period or whatever, but still homeboy scored a hat-trick in the first period of the World Juniors, and that's friggin' something to be excited about. Yeah, he about. made the Swiss goaltender look like Swiss cheese uh, out there. Alex, Alex, Alex. <laughs> Make fun of my rascal flats again, guys. <laughs> right. So, so and, and I have not been keeping tabs on this tournament like I'm sure you guys have. Are there any other younger Blues players that are making an impact in this tournament so far? Yeah, as a matter of fact, at 5 o'clock this yeah. morning, I think I woke up and uh, turned on my uh, Twitter. I was X, doing the same you thing. Want to call it, and uh, so today, the quarterfinals started. Uh, the U.S. will play. Uh, also, they're in the quarterfinals, as are uh, you know some other Blues prospects. Mm-hmm. But today, it was uh, Slovakia, Slovakia and Finland, and the game wound up, uh, what was it, 3-2? It was 3-2 in, in overtime, yeah. But uh, the Blues, Dvorsky, Dalibor Dvorsky, scored huh. to make it 2-2. Two two. And then uh, Kaskamaki, another Blues prospect. Alex, you want to try mm-hmm. the first name? Yeah, there? Alex Santeri. Alex Santeri. Alex Santeri. Kaskamaki scored to make it 3-2 for Finland. Finland uh, went on to win mm-hmm. that one. Uh, but two Blues prospects. And I think Pekarsik had an assist yeah, on the Dvorsky mm-hmm. goal. Dvorsky goal, so a lot of Blues practice, uh, prospects factoring into the scoring. I'll, I'm, I've watched a lot more than I typically do of World Juniors. Like, I flip it on, but because there's been so many, like, I've been glued to it. And also, it's been on at the same time as our show, so I have it up in the studio. Um, but that Kaskamaki looks like a um, – he looks like a really good – complimentary piece like depth piece i mean like he's a guy that goes to the front of the net i think he's six foot one six foot two and i know armstrong talked about how he's developed of course Dvorsky and um and snuggerud are both impressive in itself but man team sweden with both of those guys you've got stenberg who they're armstrong is comps to alexander steen and i see why because the dude comes up with some clutch moments but he's really good defensively and how about the Theo Lindstein cat that wasn't even on the team? An injury took place in one of their exhibition games, so they added him to the roster, and I think he leads the team in points and plus minus. Yeah, he had five assists, I think, in his first uh, three games. And you talk about uh, Steen being a comp uh, for Stenberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doug Armstrong has also said that Theo Lindstein, he said, think Carl Gunnarsson, yep. which which we think there's probably more offense there, though. Uh, yeah, the than... one that comes to my mind is Nick Letty. Not Nick Letty now, but Nick Letty in the New York Islanders, Chicago Blackhawks days. I mean, that dude shot every time he had the puck on his stick. He was small in stature, but he was quick. Yeah, and with Gunnarsson, you, you know, good defensive player, and he's not, you know, like game two of the uh, Stanley Cup yeah. finals. Uh, not bo- known for that <laughs> one. <laughs> Gunnarsson, not really known for that, but it looks like Lindstein putting up some good numbers yeah. at the World Junior. So, yeah, lots of representation. They're in a good place. Lots of, it's like every time somebody scores, there's a Blues person prospect involved. So, um, you know, like, give us an idea. Like, uh, Dvorsky, 
Snuggerud. How many, I mean, are we looking at probably two to three years before they're here? Longer than that? Less than that? I personally think, and I know Jared and I talked about this last week, I personally think Snuggerud's going to be on this team at the end of his college season this year. Oh. I personally feel like, now, so here's the, the, the hiccup with it. If he plays at the NHL level, they burn a year of his service time. Service time. But if he goes to the minor leagues, they can do him as a PTO, and it doesn't burn a year of service time. So, like, think last year with the Maple Leafs, that Matthew Nyes, they brought him out of college. They burned the year because they were going on a playoff run, and he was pretty impactful. Some of this is dictated on, are they going to be in a playoff run? Do they want to burn a year of the eligibility for Snuggerud? I just, the way he's played at the World Junior Tournaments, the way he's been in college I, he looks like somebody who's going to be ready for the pros next year. Yeah, and the Blues have done that other route with a lot of players. You know, you go back to David Backus, he goes down to Peoria or wherever right, it was, yeah. and played uh, just you know six, seven games at the end of the year. So they can go uh, either route, but I think there'll be a pretty good chance. And, you know, he's already lost a couple teammates at the University of mm-hmm. Minnesota. Um, you know, the kid went to Cooley, Cooley and Logan Knives. Cooley and Knives, so he lost his line mates, and he's still had a pretty good year. So, you know, does he have the personnel and does he have the desire to go back to Minnesota for a junior year? Pretty doubtful, especially when he's been this impressive. He could come help the Blues. Yeah. I just cannot imagine being a college kid and having the opportunity to either, hey, stay here in college where I can be a superstar on this campus or I can go and be an NHL player. Right. That's not <laughs> yeah. uh, that's not crummy decisions to be made, aid. man. Not that's a, all right. Not a bad ordeal, well, right? Do you want to eat ramen noodles? Yeah, that's very interesting. There's no way that Jimmy Snuggerud is eating ramen noodle. Come on, man. Let's let's be real. Honestly, touche, Donnie. (laughs) So, I mean, I think that's the thing, man. I, 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 dude, it's going to take me a lot to get down about this team for those reasons exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, there is a lot of reasons to be excited here, and we've continued to say it. I want to ask a couple questions about uh, players in particular. Uh, One, um, Casper Kapitan is not a guy that the Blues are going to sign after this season is over. He is probably one of the guys that's filling a spot for what will eventually be a younger player's role, probably, right? I, I, probably, but I guess it really comes down to what does Kapitan want slash think is out there. Because if you like where you're at with St. Louis, I mean, you're a in an ideal world, you're a great fourth-line player for this team that has the opportunity to move up when they need you to. Mm-hmm. Sure, he's not scoring offense, but the guy works harder than most people on the ice, and he's fast. So it, you're not going to re-sign him for 2 or $3 million. That's going to be the problem. But if you're going to be willing to go a little cheaper and maybe stay in St. Louis, that really is going to be what he values most. But, I mean, if if he was willing to sign for something that's not going to – hurt the blues in the long run in terms of cap space, I'd be I'd be more than happy to because like I said, I think that would be a perfect fourth line player and it's a veteran type player to be around your younger guys. And, and Donnie, here's the thing, and, and this goes back to the big picture that we've been talking about since we started doing the pod, is that the Blues want to be competitive, right? So they're trying to bring in players like Avrana, didn't work out, Kapanen, Hayes, to be competitive until their prospects get here. So big picture, could the Blues have gone out and gotten a better player than Kapanen? Yeah, sure, if they were trying to win, but they're trying to just stay competitive mm-hmm. during the retool. You know, you're not going to go out and spend five, six, seven million dollars on that mm-hmm. player who could make so people turn on the TV, how come this team's no good? Well, the reason is they don't have the players. You see how small that margin for error is 
every single night. Look at the Pittsburgh game, lose by yep. you know empty netter, so it's a two goal game. Uh, the Colorado game, you know, if you had those five and six, seven million dollar players, but that's not where the Blues are right. at right now. So, so if the Blues are still going to continue to go through this retool, to answer your question, if Kapanen's willing to stay on the cheap and the Blues think that they can still be a somewhat competitive team with him, he's a guy you could bring back because you know you go out on the market, you're going to pay a lot more for those types Absolutely. of guys. Absolutely. So, what about Booch? Is he a free agent after this year? So, or is it next year? Next year. So, like, n- after next season, he's a free agent. But we'll be looking to lock that guy in at some point, don't you think? Or no? I, I, go I, ahead, JR. Well, I just think that. Ooh, that, this is, you know what, though? The, the, this is this is very interesting to yeah. me because I thought both of you would immediately be like me. Yes, yes, yes. And that was not the look on your faces. So, please explain. <laughs> well, I think the answer should be yes, yes, yes. yes. You know, because yeah. That's my answer. He's that guy. But here's the thing is. Where are they at in this thing? I mean, we, we've talked this season. Is this retool going to slide into a rebuild if they don't mm-hmm. make the – so they're, what, three points out of, of a wild card spot now? Are they ten points out of a wild card here in a couple weeks? Um, you know, is Buchnevich asking for eight million a year, nine million a year? So, are you going to start paying a guy eight and a half, nine million dollars next season when you're still a couple, three years away from being yeah, that nope. type of team? So that's the question. Do you want him on your team for sure? Yeah. Like, do you want to re-sign him for sure? Like, people would think you're crazy if you don't. But where are you at in this thing? You know, he's gonna he's gonna keep you competitive for sure. So if that's what Doug wants too, and wants him to be a focal point of this team moving forward, and put those Snuggerudes and Dvorskis around a Buchnevich. Yeah, for sure. But what does he want? Does he want to stay? Because he's a free agent. He's got a choice in that. And then, Alex, does it make sense in the big picture? Well, and I think there are Damn other it. two factors into it, too. God, Donnie's going to – you're going to ruin Donnie's Damn start of the week. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Just so we're all clear. But the other factors are he's 30 years old. Right. And you're – Doug Armstrong typically doesn't give out right. eight, nine-year deals to 30 years old – or 30-year-olds. Uh, and then the other factor into it, too, is like JR mentioned, like where are you at in this stage? Because – uh, on uh, Curbs' podcast when he talked with Tom Stillman, you know, Tom really talked about, like, there, there is a patient factor for fans for all of these younger guys. Does that patient factor mean, like, hey, this still might be two, three, four years before they're back into that window, and what does that garner you on the market? And I know that sounds really crazy to say, but like Jair mentioned, what are we looking at at the trade deadline? Are you 10, 12 points out of a playoff right. spot, and does do teams – are teams desperate enough to get somebody like a Pavel Buchnevich to expedite that retool that you're trying to accomplish? And again, I'm not advocating that. No. I want them to re-sign Buch, but does somebody out there say, like, we need this and we want this because we got a whole nother year and a negotiate? Does that player offer up somebody that benefits the Blues long-term picture and such a good price too because you are getting him for a, an extra year if you're the yeah. other team acquiring him and the blues could probably eat half of that salary to make it even better yeah and 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 you could get a pretty good package in return so if you were to go down that route it does make a lot of sense but that's saying hey look we're yeah, two three right. four years away and we're not going to give a 30 year old an eight-year deal yeah. in the situation that we're in well i was just feeling good and now i don't feel great anymore <laughs> hey uh, real real quick question though um in watching colorado and seeing kind of how their last couple of weeks have been, uh, this is not the abs of 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 yesteryear. And to me, it seems like, and, and, and obviously I think they're better than the Blues, but like I feel like they've got some of the same kind of issues as the Blues. It doesn't seem like that's a super deep team. Yeah. Do you? How do you see well, the abs going forward? I think 
first problem is they got goaltending issues. Big time. Now, I know Georgiev only let, what, two in on the Blues, but he is not a number one goaltender, and I think Colorado's recognizing that. The problem is so do seven or eight other teams in the NHL think their guy's not a number one goaltender. But I, when Devon Taves kind of called out his team and said, like, some people think they're playing good and they're fooling themselves, I think he's talking about a lot of these new guys that are on that team. I think their play-by-play guy told me that this is the most turnover they've had in terms of personnel in, like, five years. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you're talking about having a Miles Wood, a Ross Colton. Um, there's another player that they have on their third line like their bottom six doesn't look anything like their bottom six looked like the last couple of years so their defense is still the exact same but they've they're top heavy in terms of they've got their their top players Landeskog's out for long term who knows with Lekin and when he's going to come back but like their bottom six it's just not what Colorado Avalanche has been over the last couple of years and what's the biggest part of the playoffs it's that bottom six a lot of times yep. so if it's showing up in the regular season it's definitely going to show up in the postseason they also need a number two center so yeah like Alex said the goaltending number two center bottom six it just doesn't look like the same Colorado they're they're fun to watch and they yeah. skate, they skate hard they're scary that was a fun game to watch the other night I still think though there's at least three teams in the Western Conference that are better than them tell me Vancouver Vegas and I think Dallas is better yeah especially when Ottinger's playing boy oh boy I love hockey so <laughs> freaking much and what's so great about being able to talk to you guys about stuff like this um is I would have ne- I I didn't even the the the, the potential for Booch, I didn't even think of that. And it's so rad to have these conversations with, with you guys where I honestly feel like I get smarter. I, I, I mean, about hockey. Or dumber, depending on how yeah. people listen to us. About hockey, yes. Maybe life dumber. <laughs> I don't know. dumber, but, absolutely. But, but, but it's just, it's it's really, it's really something else to see the puzzle pieces all go together. And then also, too, you step back and you take a bigger look at the league and different teams, and you go, man, the Blues are not the only ones in this boat. And there's other teams that are supposed to be doing better that aren't. And so it's just very, very fascinating how this is all going to go work out. And one real quick thing about another team. I feel like Pittsburgh is also in a weird spot. What the hell's going on there? Like, they've got – I mean, you've got all of those great players – Obviously, you don't want them to go anywhere else. But, dude, that it seems to me that that lineup, that that franchise is kind of stagnant right now. They almost kind of need to ship some of those guys out. Yeah, Donnie, I think it's so hard to do, and, and that's you know applies to St. Louis here. You look at the Pittsburgh, the Washington, uh, the Blues, uh, even look at Tampa Bay. They're still a pretty good team, but it's just hard to do it for six, eight, ten years. And mm-hmm. I think Pittsburgh's kind of fallen in that. Yeah. Plus, you feel a responsibility to pay some of the guys who led you through that. And yeah. so, like Chris Letang, big contract, Malkin, other those guys are playing well. Uh, but you, you can't do a lot. Also, you know, to tie it into the Blues, does the voice get stale? Mike Sullivan, yeah. he's getting yeah. a, a vote of confidence from Kyle Dubas. Uh, but, and I'm not saying he's the issue. I'm just saying that question pops up in Pittsburgh just like it did in some other places, uh, including St. Louis. So, yeah, definitely probably not the same team. But, man, Sidney Crosby yeah. can still do well, it. That's what I was going to say when you said the voice gets stale. Let's be honest. This is like the LeBron James, the Eric Spolstra of Miami Heat. Like, who's the real coach yeah, on this team? Voice? Sidney Crosby's the voice right now i they're gonna lose jake gensel and that's the worst thing that can happen to them i mean i know he's also 30 years old but i mean that's a guy who puts up 35 40 goals for you in a season they're gonna lose him because you decided to trade for eric carlson and what's their problem well they've got a lot of offensive defensemen and not a lot of defensive defensemen so i they just they put themselves in a weird spot in terms of salary cap purposes and kyle dubas came in and wanted to make the team effective right away and made all of these moves you've got riley smith you've got eric carlson but 
I, they just they feel like that tweener team where you've got a lot of talent, but you also don't have anything coming up in the system. So if those talented players go to the wayside, then it falls apart. Hey, and late breaking news here. It looks like uh, Jacob Stanzel, a uh, Blues prospect, has scored late in the game for Czechia. It looks like he's going to push uh, Czechia past Canada. What? And go into the semifinals Hold of on. that tournament. So Czechia is beating beat Canada and they're moving on in the tournament? I, I got a tweet here from uh, Scott Wheeler who was at the <laughs> tournament for for uh, the Athletic and he says 11.7 seconds left wow. and I believe it was it looks like it went off uh, a leg of a Canadian defenseman and in it looks like that uh, Canada might be out on a Blues wow. so just just another on this kid this Stancil he was the one that was drafted what was it the third round this past year he was a, a later round pick I think but this this kid's six foot three he's a winger and Doug Armstrong said that this guy is a heavy player to play against goes to the front of the net is a really good tight checking winger um, people aren't gonna like this comp but think the think. Dimitri Yashkin when all of the projections were surrounding him. It's his second of the game, too. Yeah. He's got two goals in that game against Canada. I don't think we should mention Dimitri Yashkin's name with almost anybody well, else. I mean, you're right, but the guy did score 45 goals in the KHL last year. I, so. think, I think one of my favorite things, and I haven't seen very much from this juniors tournament, but one of the things that I did see was a 6'7 player from Canada talking smack to a German and the German didn't know any English besides the F word and it was it was brilliant like I like and I don't the, the Canadian kid did not understand anything that the guy was saying but the German kid just kept saying the F word to like get his it was just that's, it was amazing that's my kind of trash talk you Dude. just drop the F word and see how many times you could turn it into a verb I just I you know listen we're gonna we're gonna find a way to communicate here everybody <laughs> through the languages and everything else through the language of the Sopranos. And I do want to mention this as well. Uh, the Blues, I believe, only have three or four road games in the month of January. Oh, yeah. They are home a lot. Mm-hmm. So if you are looking at to go and watch a little Blues hockey, you got a very good month to do it. Gentlemen, thank you so very much. I'm sorry I missed last week, but it's great to see your face today. Good to see, see you. Healthy, buddy. All yeah. right. Four, our uh, <laughs> homies, uh, Jeff Burton, uh, Jamie Rivers, it's Alex Ferrario, uh, 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 Jeremy Rutherford, Donnie Fandango. That's my name. This is the Last Minute Blues Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Let's go Blues. The Last Minute Blues Podcast. Hear more at 105.7 7thepoint.com